What is it about them all? Built on top of the brain ditch of vaporwave nostalgia, the mall exerts a presence, a vast capital repository of Christmas present memory, decay in the nowness of the age of the internet gin. She said she had a feeling it would all be okay. And isn't it fun to play weird old arcade games of the memory? And to flirt with sabotage of the rules of the food court. Perfect memories for thirty nine. What question does the mall answer? The eye of the sun that waits at the end of the vista, the first glance down the mall strip holds a look that makes me suspect it knows something of the answer. As does the immortal tree frog, I suspect. The stars are so bright in the hot light of the night in the mall parking lot after dark. Something about desire. The rabbit as a symbol is significant. On the car ride home, you begin to wonder what happened, and how much of it was in your imagination. Death by a thousand cuts. The mall is a heap of fish flesh. This podcast is brought to you by the Atlanta Surrealist Group, with special contributions by the Ottawa Surrealist Group. And I'm your host, James Robert Foster. Act One, today's episode. The dream of the mall is built atop the brain ditch, and the bus carrying our wayward travelers descends gently from atop the mountain to the mall parking lot. Act two. The eye of the sun opens slowly in the sky above the mall parking lot. Act three. The body of the mall proper. Act four. Something about desire. Act five. Something about memory. And that could be rabbits and water. I don't know. 
so stay with us as we eat the moon with our tide pool mouths. It will count as a promise we made to each other as kids in the future, breathed in the air of a cold night in a mall parking lot. Here, on Mumbling Planet. Act one. The dream of the mall is built atop the brain ditch, and the bus carrying our wayward travelers descends gently from atop the mountain to the mall parking lot. The great brain ditch finally built provides the ideal foundation for the dreams of the mall to rise. As the images and symbols of oneric winds circulate above the brain ditch, the fragments begin to form the mall edifice. The dream draft this creates drifts all the way up the nearby mountain, which, although unfortunately causing one death we know of, inevitably shepherds us gently through the sky, placing us down gently onto the mall parking lot unharmed. The ghost of a dead boy from the nearby building provides the final key. Oh, 
Hula Noir, the red black pullet is like a, uh, it's like a black, it's like a magic thing. Black okay. pullet, I think it's a magic text about, um, about treasure hunting. If I, if I'm, and it's also in a lot of like folklore and stuff. You use chickens to like, to take on the, um, you can like curses on them and stuff. Mm. So like you can, they can, they can carry the curse for you. Is this where like the voodoo kind of comes from? Yeah, there's, and I think in, in, uh, I saw I saw a good horror film in uh, it was like a Dominican Republic horror picture where they they, they were trying to like exercise this this like witch demon and um, they were trying to like kill a chicken in a salt circle to so. Amazing. Yeah. Rise, I hear like Philippians uh, kind of harm a little bit. Yeah, they really just the same Yeah, really just the same level. Yeah, Yes. Do you want to tell them? Well, I haven't been remembering too much of them. I did um, dream about this really cool, like, vintage purse that had a stereo in it, but it was like from the 20s. It was like a little yellow purse, but it had like a speaker built in. So it was like a. <laughs> like an old timey boombox. Yeah. And you just carry with you like a purse. Individual thing. Not super interesting. No. I also dreamed about very large bronze safety pins. Yeah. Um, which is funny because I was actually using a safety pin today. Mm. Um, You've had weird little. Yeah. Almost premonition dreams, but it's a very. Yeah, but it's always sort about things. Thing. Yeah, that just. Yeah. I just don't even like really matter that much like yeah like I dreamed about safety pins and then today I used a safety pin I don't know how and like the other night well not that this is unimportant but the other night when I dreamed about you know that I had like long brown hair and it was falling out and then and then I talked to my friend the next day who has long brown hair, and she said that her hair had been falling out. Um, and it's been other little things, just like seeing certain things or doing certain things in dreams and then like doing them the next day. But it's just, it's not like it's prophetic, it's not like it helps me, it's not like it guides me, it's not like it means anything. Except that It's a, a connection. Yeah. It's like the message itself is the connection. Mm. If there is a message. Yeah. But. I've been having a lot of dreams of either aliens or apocalypse, but sometimes in the same dream, sometimes not. Two ones I had this week. Uh, I was on this beach. I was walking down the beach, and then the sky got really dark, like a, there was an eclipse or something. And all these fighter jets and stealth bombers took off from 
I don't know where. And just there's just thousands of them up in the sky, just flying everywhere, you know. And and then there's these little black dots and lines that were breaking out in the sky, kind of like when you close your eyes and there's the weird little um, what are those called? Floaters. Floaters, you know, but black and in the sky. And then um, and I, I knew that it was the apocalypse. And I was like, oh, shit, I gotta go find Hazel. That's why I ran up the, the, the beach to find you. <laughs> um, and then there was another one. I can't remember if that was the same night or, or the next night, but it was, I was in this kind of huge structure, possibly a, a building or possibly a spaceship. And I was climbing through it. And then um, came across this just massive, like, football stadium-sized um, swimming pool and there was all these aliens swimming in the pool and they were really tall and um, big, kind of like the in Twin Peaks there's that giant that always shows up in the dreams, it's kind of like that but um, but they were albino and they were naked in the pool swimming and uh, so I jumped in um, and they wanted me to teach them the secrets of human sexuality, so I did so. Um, and that was the end of that dream. Very naughty. <laughs> One of those two, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was one I had the other night that's like on the tip of my brain. <laughs> I can't quite remember it. It was one of those ones too that I thought was important because because I had we were it was that night that we went to bed really early and we slept a really long time mm -hmm. and so I had a lot of different REM cycles. I had this dream in an early REM cycle that I thought was so important that I then told somebody in mm -hmm. the next REM cycle about the other dream because I was so worried I was going to forget it <laughs> for good reason because I've forgotten it <laughs> uh, unless you happen to remember because I think I told you when I woke up I don't remember uh, what a shame I think the problem is I've been sleeping too well lately yeah, yeah. I did have one dream uh, it was right after a really intense night at the No Tomorrow Gallery um and all the people who who go there a lot, I kept running into them. And I was just walking down the street, and then I, by chance, run into um, some of those people. Um, and then there was a later part of the dream where we were all in this giant bus with like an open ceiling, kind of like the tourist buses in um, in London, you know. And we were, but it was at night. And we were driving up this huge um, stairway, stairway up the side of this mountain. Uh, it's like some kind of like seaside mountain village or something. And um, we were trying, I think it was raining too, and we were trying really hard to get up these stairs. And it was just barely making it. And the, the bus driver was just like revving it and trying to get it up. And we were almost there. And then there was like this guy on a horse that we ran into and he just like, almost comically went up in the air, like flew, you know, 50 feet up in the air and, and splatted. And then um, that caused the bus to go 
fall back and, and it was just like slowly falling back down the stairs and but we weren't panicked we were all just kind of looking up at the stars above us as it slowly fell back um to our possible impending doom and then uh but then we got back to the bottom and we were totally fine and you know it was actually a good experience I do remember I do remember a recent one I was in New York. Um, I had I lived there, and uh, and I was in my office there, mm. the office building where I worked. It was an old historical building, building, and um, there was one room, really one whole section of the building that was just shut off because apparently a child had died there. A little boy and his ghost was thought to haunt that section of the building, so just they just shut it off and no one ever went there. Um, but I was like, I don't know, I feel like I feel like it might be a good time, you know? I think maybe he's gotten lonely. So I went in there and you know it just kind of had, you know, random boxes and stuff strewn around. But I went to the end of it. It was a long room. It was a hall and then a long room. And I went to the very end of it. And, um... Where I could feel that the little boy was. And there was this little box. And I knew it contained something really important. Um... And I opened it, and it was this small object that I could put in my hand. But I can't remember exactly what it was. Again, very frustrating. I, but I know kind of what it was like. It was small enough to fit in the palm of my hand. It was pale. Possibly made out of ivory. It felt very old. And I feel like it had a hollow place within it. I think maybe a whistle or a small kaleidoscope, something of that nature, or a small ivory handle or a pipe could have been any of those things. But whatever it was, it felt very, very important to the little boy. Act two. The eye of the sun opens slowly in the sky above the mall parking lot. As we exit the bus, we throw the little boy ghost's object up into the sky and it hits the sun. The object merges with the sun, fertilized by dreams. The place where the object touched the sun slowly bulges and becomes an eye. It opens and sees into the hearts of ourselves and our companions. And we see into its fire too.
rust-covered submarine on desert's warm shoulder, departed from the side of the mountain into dust, cloudless sky screaming silent, lonely clouds haunt barren lands, crying to no one for nothing. Thousand kingdomless kings drifting, multitude wandering nights with no one to protect. In this place, gold is always tarnished, always a plenty, but empty, without the smile of delight on lovers' lips. Mythic turtles, the weight of each step, yet still the water does not fall, the waters float irresolute at the edge of the cliff, trapped in the eye of the sun. Too bright to bear the light of life. Fields of wheat breeding desert meals from the mud. Suck light at the orange-colored weapon. At the bared breast at the edge of the desert. Feeders everywhere, yet unseen. The unbearable light, inescapable and tangled in being. Where to go to be instead and being. Even the shade under the eldest trees is heavy and thick with memory. Memory. And that doorknob cavalier riding hard. After illusions and false tongues, a parched mouth never sings. After all, is the cloud a monster that blighted tree a dream? Our sand shiver is tomb, severing time. Our time is severed. Act 3. The Body of the Mall Proper. Under the eye of the sun, which can see into our heart's memory, the bus is transformed into a wood-paneled station wagon your mom used to drive. And the great mall is transported and transformed in time and space to become Arbor Place in the year 2001. We enter and explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am saying you should do it. You did a bunch of teens at Arbor Place. Oh, no, are we? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Oh, my gosh. The year is 2001. Well, do you want to do it? No, no, you said we're a bunch of teens at Arbor Place Mall, and the year is 2001. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of goth kids, or strange people, that 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 uh, that wear very big pants. Lots of chains. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we riffing, or is this the? <laughs> we get out of our our parents' minivan. <laughs> right. It's exactly. got the it's got the wood panel on the sides. <laughs> and we very angrily, the black lipstick, say, Thanks, Mrs. Summers. <laughs> and then scowl. Mrs. Summers says, Kids have fun. And we reach into our pocket. Our parents gave us $35 for mowing the grass. <laughs> wow, we haven't had this much money in a long time. We were warned not to spend it all in one place. We hang out at the food court for a minute. 
<laughs> Some of us grab an orange Julius. <laughs> Some of us eat at the Chick-fil-A, but others prefer Sbarro. <laughs> we get as many Chinese food samples as we can before they tell us not to eat there anymore. <laughs> or the goth kid starts getting nervous. That one will get, you're going to get in trouble. Getting too many samples. They've gone by three times. <laughs> and finally, when we've eaten our fill, we wander into the body of the mall proper. Oh, hey. Look at that one over there. It's got red neon on its sign. Can't read what it says, so maybe we should go inside and check it out. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> we go inside. It's a little dark and hazy in here. When my eyes adjust, I can see that the walls are lined from top to bottom with snow globes. They're spooky snow globes. Um, each snow globe is based off of a different horror movie. Um, there's also a bunch of plastic skeletons on the shelves, and there's also um, little candy bones, you know, and little candy brains, and like all the little candy organs, actually. Um, I don't really like any of these movies, but it's, you know, all new stuff, there's no classics. And nobody else seems to be interested, so we head out. I guess they were a one-trick pony, huh? There were some pony bones there. Where do you want to go, Alvaro? Well, I'm seeing a store over there. If you kind of see where I'm pointing, the entrance is this giant arch, but the arch is sort of undulating. Do you see that? It's sort of like waves. Oh, yeah. What's it made of? Yeah, it's like some kind of uh, just this material that can make waves. Do you want to go in there? We open the door. There's no one inside. It's very empty, but towards the middle of the room is a set of wooden cones of different sizes. And they're almost like the blocks that you would play with as a kid. Uh, brown and 
smooth. Um, those are in the middle, and then they're surrounded by a, a ring of spheres, also wooden and also different sizes, and they're all on the ground. And I, I pick up one of the spheres and I kind of feel it in my hands. It's very smooth, it's weighty, you know, it has a presence. I turn around and I toss it to Steven. Steven, catch! Oh, shit, okay. What do you think? It's very smooth. I like it. What's it feel like? What's the surface feel like? like? Hmm. It's kind of like my head, actually. Like skin? It's not like yeah. glass. It's just I, like... I think it might be my head, actually. Oh. It's like. Oh yeah, like. It's your head. Oh, that's your head? Yes. It's my, it's my head? Wait, uh, let me pick one up. I pick okay. one up. Oh, the one that I'm holding is my head. I'm not touching it. <laughs> it's strange to look at my own head in my hands. Is it, is it looking at you? Yeah, he's looking at me. And, and I'm watching him move his lips as I talk. Is he, is he saying something? Yeah, he's saying what I'm saying now. Oh my God, it's the strangest thing. Doppelganger. I fear what will happen if I set this head down. <clears throat> if I'll lose my own head completely. The pixies, where is my mind? Starts playing on the mall speakers. <laughs> An attendant comes out of the back room and says, "Are you gonna buy that, sir?" Do I have to buy it? It's my own head. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, maybe I'll come back another time. I'll put this down. Oh! My head is back where it is. It's on my neck now. It's on my shoulders. What was on your shoulders when you were holding your head? I don't know. What did you see? I don't remember. I think it was... Just like a void there? I couldn't look at it. I was too busy looking at my own head. Nobody looked at my, at the, whatever was on, <laughs> wherever my head used to be, nobody was looking. I couldn't. There is a force preventing me from looking. I think maybe I look, but when I look back in my memory, it's like someone took scissors and cut it out of the picture. How strange. Maybe we should get out of here. It's a little weird. Yeah. Let's get out of here. The vibe is off. Yeah. I want to go to Babbage's. Babbage's? Yeah, because they sell Magical the Gathering cards there. <laughs> Let's go here. I think that sign says Babbage's. Oh, Babbage's. That sign over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never been. Neither have I. Let's go over there. Okay. I'm down. Sure. Right on. Oh, this doesn't look like a Babbage's to me. There's just a giant chessboard in the middle of the floor. Ooh. Is it like up where you can play it or is it just like the floor? Wait, I can't, can't tell. Can I? Wait a minute. Something's happening. Oh, the pieces 
are on the board, but they're all our heads. Our heads are on the pieces. Alvaro is the king. I'm beginning to wonder about this model. Told us not to lose our heads in here. There is a circle of blackbirds just flying in a circle around the chessboard. Blackbirds? Yeah, blackbirds, and they're all squawking. And all around us are portraits of Swedish royalty from the 1600s. With their names below the portraits, and they're very, like, Swedish-sounding names. Bjorn. I think that they're, yes, like, Bjorn, like, Fyrndeburger, or something. And they're all watching the chessboard. Hey, can somebody turn me around? I can't get a good look at the portraits. I'm kind of stuck here. Steven, can you help me? He can move that way. It's against the rules. <laughs> I shout out. On to King Four. And mysteriously, the chessboard moves. Your move, Alvaro. <laughs> I'm getting a little scared. <laughs> this pawn is on to me. Uh, I move uh, to the right one. Face. All of the Swedish portraits gasp. It's oh, such a move. It's the Swedish gambit. Oh god, what did I do? <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Wait for me! Someone grab Alvaro. <laughs> yeah, grab me, grab me. Okay, I grab Alvaro the the chess piece. I don't know where his body went, but let's just let's just leave this store and maybe I'll get my body back. Okay. Me and Alvaro, the, the giant chess piece, leave, leave Babbage's. Alvaro's body is outside, waiting on a bench. Oh! Headless. Hello! What happened back there? I say to my body. He shrugs his shoulders. Can somebody put my head back on my body? Here you go. <laughs> my body reaches out. To James, who hands me my head, and I screw it back on. That was weird. Lucky for all of you, as soon as I saw the head thing get weird, I put a blindfold on because I wasn't gonna get sucked into that one that time. I'll remember that next time. Now look, if we all just put our heads together, we can figure this thing out. Where should we get a something? is wrong with this mall. I'll say. What is going on here? Any ideas? Because I don't want to make any decisions about where we go next until well, we have some ideas about why these things are happening to us. This is not normal. Wait a minute. Didn't we, like, walk into the arcade? When? Yeah, when? Before After the, food, the court? food court? After the food court, we went to an arcade? Didn't we? Wait, do you remember Is this? We food? got change. Right. We got some change, and we like... There was this new game. Yeah, okay. They had just like pulled the curtain that's, off. That's right. 
What was it? Do you remember? Did we play? Like, what happened after that? Yeah, I think it was, uh, wasn't it, like, it was Polybius, right? Polybius. I do remember that. No, I thought it was Polybian. Polybian? Polybian. 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 Okay, what? That's right, and it was about. Um, it, I yeah, it, it wasn't about you, you play as the head of a plebeian. I think you you played as little ferrets or, or squirrels going down a river. Oh. Right, and the object and like was a to, canoe or something. Right, yeah. and you had to you had to survive the yeah. rapids. Right, yeah, but we had to keep all our, our nuts on on the boat. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this is nuts. nuts. I guess the like, machine would spray you with water as you were like going down. What? Oh, oh shit! Maybe something was in that water. Something must have been in the water. They put something in the water. Or maybe it was nuts. None of y'all are allergic. Only peanuts, but those aren't technically nuts. No, those are legumes. Allergic to everything. I uh, I don't know. I've never tested. I mean, I guess I can eat peanuts. Yeah. <coughs> All right, so it's not an allergy. Wait, look over there. Where? That store. That store is called look at the look at the name. It's oh. called Answers. 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 Oh. Okay. Oh, now yeah. now hang on a damn second. Are we gonna trust the store to tell us that it's that it is what it says it is? Don't you think that that's exactly what they would want us to believe? They're just gonna sell you whatever you'll buy. They're gonna sell us whatever we'll buy. And this is the mall. The fucking mall. There's a poster that says Clearance on correct answers, seventy-five percent off. <clears throat> Just what you'd expect from. Oh, see, they're thirty-five. They're thirty-five dollars. You know, I mean, that's exactly what we have. Isn't that just seem perfect? Well, I mean, so here's the thing. If you look across from Answers, there's that other store, and it's called Non-Answers. I trust that. So. Okay. Wait. Hold up. But if you were as devious as this mall certainly seems to be, wouldn't you, like, you know, put the answers and then the non-answers, and then, like, everyone would think, well, no, this mall is weird. I shouldn't go to the answers. I should go to the non-answers. But what if they're tricking you? So it's a double-double cross. It's it's like that scene from The Princess. <laughs> but you are a Sicilian. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's the Sicilian paradox. Uh, well, I think uh, based on that logic, we might want to go with answers. We go to the answers, yeah. Wait crazy. a minute. Look over there. What now? <laughs> there's there's one that's called questions. <laughs> questions? But we're already full of questions. Yeah, but have we got the right questions? That's the that's mm, that's a good point. I guess we don't know what to ask. Oh, wait a minute. They buy questions there. They buy. They've got well, well they but us? they also trade. They also trade. It's a, it's a question. Yeah, it's a it's a question. Um, uh, what do they call those? A, a, a consignment shop. Yeah, it's like well, a, wait, it's a question. Question pawn store. If they trade, we can trade the questions we don't have an answer to for a question we do have an answer. That's to. if the questions that we have, they pay enough money for. Sometimes, if they're a bad question, they're just not gonna, they're not going to pay that much for it. I mean, a, you know, if we have some good questions, maybe they might give us some other good questions, but. But the, if there's like five of us, surely we can get enough questions together to like buy at least one good question. That's true. I mean, I'm full of questions right now, so 
I have a lot to bargain with. Let's do it. I'm, f- I'm full of questions, too. I'm full of orange Julius. Do you need to go to the bathroom? I warned you about that. Kind of, but I'm scared. The bathrooms here are always so bad. You better go now before... Before the questions. <laughs> Especially before yeah. we... Yeah, because, I mean, you want to go before the movie anyway. Are you sure? It'll be okay. Will you go with me? No. <laughs> he can't go in there with you. It's the mall cop would have at him. The injustice. Well, that's fine. We'll wait. I walk in the direction of the bathrooms, looking behind over my shoulders at my friends who wave encouragingly in my direction. Go on now, they say. I really don't want to. I get to the hallway leading to the bathrooms. The light overhead is blinking. There's a puddle of water or something coming out from the bathroom. I look back again. Everyone encourages me. I wade through the liquid. I open the bathroom door with the edge of my cardigan. And I see out of order on every single stall. It seems really dubious. So I open one anyway. And right there Inside the really horrifically disgusting toilet is a golden box and it says Coupon for free question (laughs) Except that I have to reach into this horrible toilet to get it I can't do it. I just won't tell them about it. I close the stall. I walk out of the bathroom. I walk back to my friends. They ask me if I've, you know, done my business. And I say, yes. All right, so we're going to go to this question store or what? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So we walk over to the store with the blinking neon green sign saying questions. And... We walk inside, and um, inside everything is black. Uh, everything you can't you can't tell where anything is. And you guys see anything in here? I'm trying to like reach my hands out to see if I can feel something. Suddenly. A single spotlight turns on, and there's a creepy animatronic guy in an old-timey, like, barber shop costume. <laughs> 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 I guess this is, this is... I guess, I guess we talked to him? <laughs> <laughs> Someone ask you a question. What are you? Suddenly, the whole, the whole lights on the entire shop comes on. 
and it's just everything that you ever desired as a child. Cause like candy, and like a new bike, and like video games, and like all that stuff. Now where would you like to ask? Why are there tree frogs on your face? The immortal tree frog has bestowed them on my spirit! And you can too. Show me how. Thirteen ninety nine. That's like half of money. He's asking us for money for the question. I only have thirty five dollars. Wait, I thought we were trading questions. Oh yeah, you trade Wait. questions, well, don't you? Is there only certain kinds of questions you purchase? That is the question I will take. The rest, the the store goes black again. It's just the spotlight on the guy. Then what will you give us in exchange? What question? The only questions worth asking involve desire. Well then, sir, so that what does not do you sound... desire? That does not sound like a good question to be asking a group of teenagers. I don't think my mom would approve. Oh, but your mom doesn't approve of anything. Especially not me. Okay, Mr. Question Man with the frog in your face. Why doesn't my family The machine starts whirring and processing the question. Starts spinning around on his little animatronic base. He starts spinning faster and faster. I think that was a good question. He's just a blur like a like a helicopter like now. He's spinning so fast. It is not their desire to do so. The wind from the, the spinning guy gushes and it knocks everyone over. Thirteen ninety nine for a better question. Damn, bad question after all. Why are the stars so bright? Heat generates light, and the stars are hot. Thirteen ninety nine for a better question. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got a question. What do you desire? Mm -hmm. I desire release from my constraint as a character in a surrealist game. I desire self-awareness as a character. Should we give it to you? Yes. I 
think that we should cut this guy loose. We'll I trust you. Your desire. We will grant so, your what, desire. Wait a minute now. You think it's better? Um, well, I mean, well, I think what could go wrong? Yeah. Right. I think just the way we do it is we just leave this room, and when he do, when we do, uh, you know, he'll he'll be able to go free because we won't be thinking about him anymore. Is that right, uh, question guy? My existence is contingent on your in continued attention on my existence. There's like a glass case with like bolt cutters in it that says like great glass. I'm afraid to not exist anymore. We gotta cut this guy loose. Yeah. Should we break the glass? Let's do it. Oh okay. no. Where will I go when you're not thinking of me? I'm Time is an illusion, Mr. Mr. Question Man. Oh. I break the glass of the bolt cutter case and I go over to the Mr. Question Man and I cut him free from his constraints. Oh, oh, it's just me, James. What? Oh man, that was weird. This is James along? <laughs> yeah, we're in this apartment right now. The lights, the lights turn on in like the store, and it is this apartment. <laughs> oh, hi guys. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's that. <laughs> Whoa. Meta. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like someone should draw this this small scenes or something. Act four. Something about desire. The awakening of desire and self-awareness within us and within them all causes it to swell with child. It gives birth out of its front doors to a rabbit. As the rabbit hops away, goes on a journey that forces it to confront the nature of its own desires and gradually to remove its own mask. Once upon a time, there was a rabbit who liked to eat thistle and berries in the spring while holding acorns on his hand. He was a violent soul, capable of wanton destruction. Rabbit was really mad one day, and so he ate a purple flower became a giant beast who roamed both land and sea. When he roamed the sea, he befriended the locals, the local seamen. These seamen were very enthusiastic to make new friends, yet the seamen were overzealous and let their virility get away from them. That's okay because Rabbit had them on speed dial, 
and whenever the seamen are unhappy, Rabbit knows where to call them. They play code games. Rabbit is epileptic, and yet he doesn't even know how to properly wear epaulettes, even though he has asked the doctor about it so many times before. The doctor just keeps reminding Rabbit to eat healthy, because that's how Rabbit will cure the cancerous mass eating away at his ability to love anyone. So the seaman asked the rabbit whether Octopus really had any stripes. Or was it all a dream? No. It wasn't all a dream. So the seaman wondered if this all was really just an allegory for masked fragility. And the rabbit wondered too. Act 5. Something about memory. The desire dream of the rabbit Aware now of its fragility and self-aware to its own fictionality, disintegrates into memories. Memories of death by a thousand cuts, and discussion of what counts as a promise, and wonder about whether we would have the right kind of courage if we ever had to. The memory of them all sinks into the sea, replaced by sand. Can, can it be memories or perceptions of things or memories of yeah. other things, right? Mm. Who's starting? fish were just flapping on the table and they took a long time to stop flapping. Later that day on the car ride back to their house, the father in the family talked about death by a thousand cuts. back about that giant mound of fish flesh. Gray catfish squirming. And all the Boy Scouts smiling and laughing and jumping in the water. And the empty lake.
and the sky was blue. And the fish flesh was my flesh. Because on that boat, the fishing hook flung backwards and pierced my own scalp. And it hurt quite a bit. And I screamed and I screamed. And there was blood everywhere. green and I fell into the water and sank deep down below and I grabbed a huge handful of gooey mud from the floor and I dove up and I threw it at the hair of my friend and they cried. And then, above me in the sky, which had suddenly turned to black, a UFO fell down. It wasn't something I noticed because I was too busy staring at the mud. I pulled out something that was billions of years old. And all around me, UFOs and UFO research. There were plenty of details to go on, but I didn't catch any of them. Because I was so concerned, these few fragments that I found in the mud. stand naked before the rising moon and the moon actually has chocolate wrapping with a silver coating and you can peel it off bit by bit and then you find out there's always a little bit of metal left and when you try to eat the moon the metal gets in your teeth. The moon is particularly fond of being eaten, especially by tide pools. But when you eat a moon, when you eat the moon with your tide pool mouth, 
It counts as a promise. And the shadows will always rise and fly up to your forehead and whisper secrets and poems without aim and caress your little nostril for a kiss. The shadows emerge from the night lights and they don't let up until the daytime comes. You can jam your fingers in your ears and you're still going to hear those stories. You can look at the wallpaper and scrape at it with your fingernails and they're not going to stop. And you can stare up all you want at the vent in the wall, the light of your nightlight shining on it and turning the wrinkles of the, the metallic vent into the face of a demon and you can keep staring at it but the metal won't smooth back and the demon will continue to stare back and if you want to you can be the demon you can be the naked demon without torso spreading shit all in your ears and playing with your stringy hair and rotating and becoming bamboo. The bamboo demon keeps going. The bamboo demon doesn't ever need to stop laughing because they have a little box attached to their breast with a little button on it. When the button's pressed, it laughs for them. It's the perfect system. There are so many buttons to push and little dials to turn and little, little things to slide up and down on some fancy objects that musicians use. And it's very fun when the musicians aren't around just to turn each little dial just a little bit one way, a little bit the other, slide around bizarre slidey things and push various buttons so that the next time they try to use it, they're like, boy, this sounds weird, what happened? But if you play a saxophone and you're not really quite sure how to play, you can just not blow, but play anyway on some deeper plane of reality. The main point of most instruments is to taste them anyway. You find out they all have their own kind of flavor, the metal of the saxophone or the flute, the strange woody taste of a panpipe. It's really about a kind of gourmet quality they have. The music is secondary. Also, their aroma. Instruments can be quite fragrant. The perfume of a didgeridoo, the kind of wood it's made of, the wax, and the scent 
of the of the player's saliva all combine into a musky unique single singularity and the spit which collects at the bottom of every saxophone will sometimes create a tidal wave The tidal wave is not just a one-time occurrence. The interesting thing is it draws itself out over everyday occurrences. When you turn on the tap and the water flows up way too quickly, when it's raining and it feels like it's raining on the inside of your coat, the tidal wave persists. Maybe it's the tidal wave that makes you go out on a rainy day knowing you'll get wet and saying, I don't need an umbrella. But I've always liked the tidal waves. I've always liked to swim out and to punch the ocean and to taunt it and say, you cannot drown me, ocean. You cannot drown me. Vigorous poets love to swim. Some of them like to challenge land masses and like to challenge bodies of water. Other ones like to challenge sharks. Some of them like to mate with sharks. Swimming is a highly poetic activity. Drowning also. And every time I'm in the ocean, I run through several scenarios of what I would do if a shark were to come and bite the leg of my beloved. Would I remember to punch the shark on the nose? Would I remember to strike also at their eyes? And would I be able to drag my beloved back to the shore before they bled out? I won't know if I can do it unless it actually happens. But the shark teeth tell many tales, and none of them are of success. Mumbling Planet is a production of the Atlanta Surrealist Group. Brain Ditch and Surrealist Mall Rantings by Jason Abdelhadi the latter accompanied by Lake. Dream offerings by Hazel and Stephen Klein, as well as their poem, In the Eye of the Sun. Oneric Escapades at Arbor Place Mall by Alvaro Michael, Tony Crishy, Stephen, Hazel, and myself. The Story of the Rabbit by Barton Linkus. Mary Beecroft, Hazel, Stephen, and Brandon Stringfield. The Consequences of Death by a Thousand Cuts by Stephen, Hazel, and Jason Abdelhadi. Music, editing, and production by me, 
your host, James Robert Foster. We're glad your mom decided to drive you out here to hang out with us tonight. We'll have to do it again sometime. The next time you find yourself in the neighborhood of Mumbling Planet.